Well, good morning, friends, and uh, let's bow our heads and our hearts together before God as we prepare to hear from Him and look into His Word. Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we look into your word right now, God, we ask that that a little bit of that would happen in our lives today. Encourage, strengthen, challenge, expand our eyes, convict our hearts, speak however you know we need to hear from you. And not just information, but bring about transformation in our lives as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the leading blockbuster movies of my teenage years was a movie called Twister. It was a movie about a group of men and women who do the exact opposite of what everyone would say you are supposed to do. It was a a story about a group of these men and women who would do the exact opposite of everything that is internally just your reaction, your gut visceral response. It's a movie, maybe you remember from years ago, about tornadoes. It's a movie about tornadoes. Now the question is, what are you supposed to do when there is a tornado near you? What are you supposed to do? What's the response you're supposed to take? You're supposed to run into your home, go down into your cellar or your basement, lock yourself up in a, in a carefully guarded spot and huddle down, hunker down, right? Uh, some of you might know that I'm going to school right now, sort of on the side at a school in Kentucky. Kentucky is like Tornado Alley all the time. And all around the school, when you go down there in the different buildings, you see these little like sticker placards on different um, rooms saying this is a tornado relief room. If there's a tornado, if the sirens start going off, run to this particular room to hunker down, settle in, and stay safe. But Twister made famous this group of people called storm chasers. This group of men and women who did the exact opposite of all of that, who when everyone else was told and felt inside to run inside and to hide and to hunker down where you are safe and comfortable and you know, they got in their trucks and ran towards the storm. They, they drove as fast as they possibly could to try and get as close as they possibly could to the very eye of these giant storms. They did this because they were trying to get information to actually help others. See, this group of people, these storm chasers, what they were doing was they were laying down their lives in order to be able to one day save the lives of others. They were surrendering themselves in order to rescue another. They were on the hunt for these storms in order to protect their people. In our spiritual journeys, we all run into storms, right? Storms of all sorts that we come face to face with. A lot of challenges, challenges in our home, 
on the relational front with perhaps a spouse or our children or with our health or with money or around our home functionally. We face challenges and storms in our workplaces, trying to be good examples for Jesus, trying to deal with conflict and and difficult situations. We face challenges within our church family in terms of guarding unity and not having division come in, even when we disagree and we rub each other the wrong way, right? Demanding my rights and my, my responsibilities. We hit this internal angst sometimes that can create storms as we rub against each other. There are all kinds of storms that we face. And when we face these storms in our spiritual lives, you and I have the exact same gut, visceral, natural reaction that we do when we hear of a gigantic tornado coming near us. What do we do? We want to run inside, go to a place where we are comfortable, where we know and to hunker down and look inward to keep ourselves safe. Today, we are in the very nearing the very end in our second last week of study in this amazing book that we've been studying for the last number of months called the Book of Romans. We're going to finish off the 15th chapter of Romans today, and God's Word is going to push us, actually, friends. It's going to push us in the midst of all the storms that life brings, it's going to push us away from that natural response that you and I each have to hunker down, look inward, and stay safe when we get the storms. And it's going to push us to take that posture of looking to lay ourselves down for the sake of others. See, the transformed follower of Jesus, which is really what chapters 12 all the way through 16 is all about, The transformed follower of Jesus is one who is experiencing the gospel creating a burning desire to reach the unreached within them. See, when you come to know Jesus, the gospel produces this burning desire inside of you to not just stay where you are and look internally and hunker down, but it creates this burning, yearning passion to reach the unreached and to go. The tendency we all have, even as followers of Jesus, is to look inwardly. We look to the places we know and to the people we know and to the circles that we know and to the comfort of our lives. But the gospel has this transforming power that pushes us out to reach the unreached. Now you might think that we have carefully planned out this week to line up with a special guest we had visiting us here live this week, a missionary guest of ours, and I cannot take the credit for being nearly that smart. We were so privileged to have a special guest with us this week who's a missionary partner of ours from Nepal, and it just so happened that God and His grace and His providence lined up these pieces that we would happen to be in this text at this time. If you haven't already grabbed your Bibles out, I encourage you today to grab them out and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to be digging into God's Word, learning about reaching the unreached, starting in verse 8. God's Word says this, 
For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Paul begins here by reminding us back all the way to chapters 10 and 11 of this letter that God has had a plan all the way along. It started with this group called the Jews, his chosen people. He started with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, the patriarchs, where he was choosing a people unto himself to be his own precious children. And that he was going to send a Messiah, a rescuer, to rescue all of his people. But but it was never just about one ethnic people, the Israelites or the Jews. God's plan was always about all nations. We're going to see in our text here this repeated word coming up over and over and over again. Gentiles. Actually, the original Greek word for what we have here is ethnos. Ethnos, and it can also be translated not only Gentiles, which means everybody who's not a Jew, but it can also be translated to mean the peoples or the nations. The peoples of the earth, the nations of the earth, everybody on earth that is not of Jewish background. And here's the first thing we need to remember, friends. God has always had a plan to reach the nations. Look, Paul says, let me show you, let me show you four different passages Paul is about to quote here, all with the same message resounding through them. God has a plan to reach the nations, the Gentiles, the people of all nations to praise and glorify him. The first passage he quotes, it's in verse nine, but he's quoting an Old Testament passage from 2 Samuel chapter 22. As it is written, he says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Next, he quotes in verse 10, a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Again, the scriptures say, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his peoples. Then he quotes in verse 11, a a verse from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Sing praises to him, all you peoples. Finally, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, prophet the Isaiah chapter 11. For again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. All of these, as I said, have the same message. They are banging home. They all speak of the Gentiles, the ethnos, the nations coming to know and to love and to worship and praise God as a result of the Savior that would come. This has been God's plan all the way, starting with the Jews and the patriarchs on to the nations. This has always been God's plan. Now, why does he quote these four verses? Well, certainly part of it is Paul saying, you know, bam, 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 let me just show you Let me show you over and over and over repetition that this is a significant and important point. That's part of what's going on here as he quotes these four Old Testament verses. But but I think there's something even deeper going on. See, the Old Testament, the, the first half of the scriptures that God gave, actually is divided up into four main sections, okay? So the first five books of the Bible are often called the Law, the Pentateuch. Then there is the histories of the Bible. That's talking about stories like, 
you know, or, or texts like Judges and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Chronicles, those histories of God's people. Then there is the 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 wisdom literature, which is Psalms and Proverbs. And finally, there are the prophets. There's the old te- the the um, the major prophets and the minor prophets: Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, on and on they go. Now, what's interesting here? There's four main sections in God's Word. Did you catch how many scriptures were quoted here by Paul? How many was there? Well, there was four, right? There's four main sections of scripture: the law, the histories, the wisdom literature, and the prophets. And did you happen to notice that these four scriptures he references, there is one from each of those categories? He he quotes Deuteronomy, which is part of the law. He he quotes from 2 Samuel, which is part of the histories. He quotes from Psalm 117, which is part of the wisdom literature. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, which is part of the prophets, which I would suggest to you is actually not only saying, hey, by repetition, let me show you this is important, but actually I'm going to give you a cross-section of all of the scriptures to show you that an entire part of God's plan from beginning to end has been to reach the nations with the hope of the gospel. God has always had a plan to reach the nations. And friends, he calls every single one of us to be a part of this plan. God has not just called us as his children to hunker down and stay where we know, with the people we know, in the places we know, in our comfortable, safe spots. We can get busy with work and school and our homes, and all of our focus goes here. We can get hit with hardships in our jobs or losing our jobs, with our health, in difficulties with loved ones, and our focus goes here. We can settle in with a group of people we like in a town that we like, in a church that we like, in a home that we like, and get comfortable. And our focus goes here. But God has not called us to just stay here, friends. He has not called us to just be content and comfortable and hunker down and look internally and stay with what we know, where we know, the people we know, in the place we know. That's what happened to the early church. I'm talking like very beginning of the church. That that wrestling, this is not a new wrestling that you and I face. This is something that, that all throughout history, the people of God have bucked up against and God keeps calling us out. If you go right back to the very beginning of the church, you go to Acts chapter 1. Right after Jesus died, he rises again, and before he ascends into heaven, he gets together with his disciples and he gives them this commission. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not just witnesses where they were, although it certainly started there, they're in Jerusalem, 
But no, from Jerusalem, out into Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ethnos, the very ends of the earth. And at the first, the church, the early church, did pretty good at this. The Holy Spirit came down. Peter stands up, proclaims the gospel. Thousands upon thousands of people get saved and get baptized. And people start giving radically and sacrificing tremendously. And the witness is going out powerfully. And they're praying and seeing incredible movements of God in the prayer meetings. Except, do you know what they didn't do? didn't go. They stayed. God was pouring out His Spirit and He had told them, when I pour out My Spirit upon you, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem first and then Judea and then Samaria and then on to the ends of the earth. But they were staying here. They were not going out. They were staying. And so do you know what God in his magnificent orchestrating sovereignty brought about? One of their key leaders, Stephen, was arrested and executed publicly. He was stoned to death. And what was incited was this incredible persecution by these opposing forces trying to crush the church but do you know what happened when the persecution came down? The people finally went out. And the gospel started to spread as a result. They were crushed in Jerusalem, so they ran to the, to the nations, bringing the hope of Jesus. The whole reason why this church in Rome that received this letter the first time exists is because men and women, young and old, we don't even know their names, but some of them that were in Jerusalem who had heard the gospel were then sent out when that persecution came and the gospel went to Rome and a church was planted. The whole reason why you and I are here in 2023 on the other side of the world speaking English and yet coming to know and learn about Jesus is because people went out to the nations with the good news of Jesus. And God called Paul to be at the forefront of that spread. Look what he says in chapter verse 15. I have written to you quite boldly at some points. He's thinking back over the letter. I've been pretty bold as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave to me. See, Paul was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. A minister of Christ Jesus to the nations with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified, by the Holy Spirit. Paul was given this commission. He became the leading evangelist, the leading church planter, the leading missionary emissary to the nations, to the ends of the earth. And so he says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, 
So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. In the cause of this mission to bring the good news of the gospel to the nations, what we begin to see here is that there are two groups of people that God calls in this cause. The first is this, to fulfill the unreached, to fulfill his plan, God calls some to go to the unreached and reach the unreached. To fulfill his plan, God calls some to go to reach the unreached. I want to throw a map up on the screen here for you. It's a map of the ancient Mediterranean region. And you can see on there, Elysium in the north, it's kind of like very northern tip of modern day Greece or maybe into Croatia. It's a region there. And then you can also see Jerusalem. And Paul makes this really fascinating statement. He says, I have proclaimed fully, I've fully proclaimed the gospel all the way from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium. I've gone from city to city, region to region, across this whole area, and I've preached the gospel there such that there are no more unreached people. Now, to say that he had fully proclaimed the gospel in that area is a, is a fascinating thought. He, he doesn't mean that every person there has become a Christian. He doesn't even mean that every single person there he has personally talked to about Jesus. He, he knows, though, that in that whole region, he's been able to go and begin gospel-planted, multiplying churches there. He, he has now sent guys like his protégés Timothy and Titus to do the long-term work of pastoring and establishing these local churches that he started. But Paul's mission, Paul's calling by God, Paul's part is to fulfill God's plan by being one who goes to reach the unreached. As he said in verse 20 there, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not known, was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. God laid a burden a calling upon Paul's life to go to reach the unreached, to be the one specifically on the front lines focused upon reaching people who have never heard of Jesus yet. Do you know that in the world today, there are literally millions and millions and millions of people who have never heard of Jesus, let alone begun to follow him. They are completely unreached people. I am not talking about, for example, like your neighbor here in town who doesn't follow Jesus. I'm not talking about people like in our community. I know those folks need Jesus, but within like a, a couple minute drive, they could get to any number of different churches in our town or in the towns or the city, London and around us. 
They could go to any number of bookstores or pop on Amazon and, and get access to a Bible in their own language they can read. That's not what I'm talking about. There are millions upon millions of people right now who have no access to a church because there is no church in their region anywhere. They have no access to a Bible because there's never been a Bible even translated into the language they speak. And why would they even want to go seek out a Bible? Because they've never even heard of the Bible or heard of Jesus. Millions and millions and millions of people who are totally unreached right now in our world. And God has a plan to reach the nations, including people from each tribe and nation, people and tongue, even those spots where right now there is no church, no Christians, and no Bible. God has a plan. And what a privilege it is for us as a church to have partners like our, our brother, Pastor Bimlal, who's here this week, or other missionary partners that we have around the world in the Middle East and in Africa and in the, the Caribbean and in Asia and in Europe, who are out going into the front lines to bring the hope of Jesus. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of getting to go and visit dear Brother Bim in Nepal and to learn about what God was doing there. See, there are dozens of people groups in that nation who have never, ever heard of Jesus. In fact, I want to show you a picture. Here's a picture on a screen. This will seem like a relatively innocuous building. That is a simple church building in one of the regions that we went and visited. We went and visited there and met a number of people from that church family there and, and started to hear the story of how that church started maybe about a dozen years ago or so. And since that church started about 12, maybe 15 years ago, it has since then grown and planted another church. And those two churches in that particular region are the first churches that have ever existed amongst this people group. There has, you go back in all the history, and there has never been a Christian, there has never been a church, there has never been the Bible, there has never been the name of Jesus ever mentioned, ever known, ever followed or worshipped ever amongst these people in this town. And we were there visiting them and seeing the first church building ever built to go and proclaim the gospel, and to have people who have just come to Jesus, first generation, there are no second generation Christians, because it's all new believers who have come to know Jesus. And oh, how thankful I am that God has raised up individuals like our brothers and sisters and pastor missionaries that we partner with to go and to reach the unreached peoples, and I wonder, I wonder today, is there anybody in our midst who the Lord is stirring to say, you know what, I've got one life to live. And God is working upon my heart to perhaps bring about the kind of conviction that God brought upon Paul's heart. 
to say, I, I know my next door neighbor here needs Jesus. And I know there's many people in this region that need Jesus. But oh, how I burn inside to go and preach the gospel where no one has ever preached before. To build on a foundation that has never been laid because there's people who need Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone, maybe even you at home right now, who God might be stirring to say, I need to give my life to this. That won't be all of us for sure, but maybe, oh, I'm praying even one or two from our midst. Now, maybe though you very quickly are like, well, that's not me. <laughs> no, don't you, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not gonna go to some far off land and have to learn a new language and go and reach and live who knows where to do, who knows what in order to help them. That's not me. Okay, but wait a minute. Don't wrestle yourself out from under what God's word has to say because there's also a second group. There are those who God calls to go, but to fulfill God's plan, he also calls some to send to reach the unreached. He calls some to go, but then he calls many more to send to make this possible. Look at verse 23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, Paul says, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, this church in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul is like, I know the calling of my life. The calling of my life is to go and reach the unreached. I have gone all the way around from Jerusalem to northern Greece and I know God's brought the gospel to Rome where you are. And so there's these people keep going around the Mediterranean in Spain who need the hope of Jesus and no one's ever preached. I long to go there. And when I go there, on my way, I'm going to stop in in Rome. And part of why I'm writing this letter to you right now, brothers and sisters in Rome, is so that you will be ready to greet me, to welcome me, and then to help send me on to reach the unreached in Spain. Before Paul is going to go to Spain, he's at the moment on this delivery mission to the saints in Jerusalem. He's collected up a special offering. He's going down to Jerusalem. He talks all about that in verses 25 to 28. And then he says, I know that when I come to you, after I drop the special offering off in Jerusalem, I will come in the full measure of the blessings of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul says, please, I need you to be senders who not only one day are going to get me on to Spain, but I need you to pray for me now. Pray that I'm able to come to you. Pray that I'm able to get through these battles, these storms that I'm in right now. Pray that I don't look inward and just settle in, but that I keep looking outward and am able to keep bringing the hope of Jesus forward all kinds of obstacles could get in his way. All kinds of storms could hit that could lead him to just huddle up in the place that he knows. 
But he's like, no, I need to go to Spain. So I need you to pray for me. And the same thing can happen for us, friends. Maybe God is calling some of us to go. Maybe he's calling some of us to step up and send. And oh, how many are needed to reach the nations. I love how it says in Romans 10, verses we looked at a number of weeks back. How then can the nations, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Oh, how beautiful a thing it is to be a goer, to reach the unreached, joining God in his mission. Oh, how beautiful it is to be a sender as part of reaching the unreached. That picture I showed you of that church in Nepal, I left out one part of the story, Bethel. The reason why we were taken to go and visit that particular congregation and see that particular building was to encourage you and me. Because God in his grace had used our giving to specifically plant that church and build that building. That building that I got to stand in front of in a town and a region that had never heard the name of Jesus before, like 12 or 15 years ago, was built because of the generosity of you and I as we put our money in the offering plate each week. That's what made those doors open for those people to be able to hear of Jesus and a church to gather because how beautiful are the feet of those who go and how wonderful a gift it is. How can they go without someone sending them? Oh, Bethel, be encouraged. When you give generously and radically and sacrificially, when you pray and partner with our missionaries around the world, you are getting to be a part of fulfilling God's plan to reach the unreached, to reach the nations. When we pray for the missionaries we send out, when we rally around them, when we have them back to come and share what is going on, we are getting to be a part of reaching the unreached. This is why we send out one for 51 teams this is why we have missionaries come back and visit us and share with us and we build relationships with them. It's to encourage us. Look at what God's doing. Look at what we're getting to be a part of. And it's to inspire us to say, hey, there are so many more who need the hope of Jesus. There are so many more who need to hear and there's no one there telling them. How are they going to hear? unless someone goes to preach. And how are they going to preach unless someone sends them? I know in your life and in my life, there are many storms. Storms that come up and lead us to start looking inward, to run inside to the place we know, the people we know, to stay in the safe spot we know, and just continue on looking inward. I know 
There's all kinds of distraction storms. There's all kinds of busyness storms. There's all kinds of what about this storms. There's all kinds of uncertainties. There's all kinds of weights and obligations and obstacles and difficulties. But God, friends, is calling you and calling me, calling us to not be a people that are conformed. Who just run inside and hunker down and look inward, but to be a transformed people who join him in his mission to reach the nations, to reach the unreached. John Piper, incredible pastor, wonderful author, has this very pointed, piercing, and dare I say, Bang on quote in a book that he wrote. He says, There are three kinds of people in the world. Number one, zealous goers. Number two, zealous senders. And number three, disobedient. Who will we 